everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Rapping with the Reef Bum. I'm your host, Keith Burkohammer. And today I have the pleasure of welcoming Devin Rich from Reef Dudes. Devin, man, welcome to the show. Devin has a thank you, thank you. Uh, very large social media following with over 29,000 subs on YouTube, over 27,000 followers on Instagram. He also has a strong presence on Facebook with the uh, Reef Dudes Saltwater Reef Chat Board. So, Devin, man, it's like the, uh, the interviewer is being interviewed here on, uh, on Rapping with Reaper. Thanks again, man, for, for being a part of this. Oh, no problem. So how are you doing today, Keith? I am doing excellent. We had a little uh, snow here in Vermont. We missed the, uh, the big nor'easter, but we got five or six inches of snow. Really not much of um, uh, a winter yet here in Vermont, but uh, I guess it's kind of gearing up. How are you doing, man? doing pretty good we had our day or two winter then it kind of warms up and melts away so it's kind of intermittent every couple weeks but yeah overall i'm doing pretty good though cool hey everybody thanks for uh for tuning in here and and we're gonna have a lot of fun talking talking reef and i got a bunch of questions for for devin and and uh, i know you folks probably uh will have some as well and see we've got uh vermont john is in the house and and uh, Reef Keeper, welcome, uh, folks. Three, two, one, Reefer. Greg Carroll is back. Greg, what's up, man? So, um, really wanted to um, to to talk with with Devin about um, you know a bunch of things, and really wanted to to kind of start off by getting more insight, Devin, in terms of your background and how you got started in this hobby. So, uh, what's what's the story there, Devin, in terms of how you got into reef keeping? All right, so. That's a very good question. So aquariums in general have probably been on and off since the younger days. Um, kind of, I guess, high school days, I was into aquariums or elementary school. I don't know. Sometime when I was younger. Um, completely got out of it for a while. And my current wife, girlfriend at the time, had this little tank. I was like, oh, what are you doing with that tank? It's in a box. Not doing much. I'm like, oh, can I have that? And that literally started the rabbit hole. Um, so that first started as like a little freshwater tank. And then I started to turn into a planted tank. And I was obsessed with planted tanks for a year or two. So I had all these planted tanks. And I was like breeding little celestial pearl daniels and shrimp and all these different things. And then one day I was like, ah, I'm going to try a reef tank. And I was like, ah, how hard can it be? So I just <laughs> emptied out one of the fresh tanks, turned into a saltwater tank, and I was instantly hooked. And then all the freshwater tanks have started turning into saltwater tanks, and then the rabbit hole has got deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. <laughs> yeah, and you just can't get out of it, can yeah. you? Yep. Nope, you're in there. I'm in there for life. Like, I don't even know what to do with myself if I don't have a saltwater tank. No. <laughs> It'd be an, a void in my life. So at what, um, at what point in time did you start uh, Reef Dudes? You know, after how many years in the hobby did you um, start that project? I was probably – I had a website – was probably still up. I think I called it Fish Tank Projects. I, I started doing that, and I started doing just random little how-tos and tutorials on freshwater stuff. So I was already kind of doing it. I think I had a couple random videos out, and I went to Reef Dudes. And I've, very, I've been very entrepreneurial, and I've always had a bazillion little random projects on the go. Like, I've never not done things, but I've always jumped from one thing to another thing to another thing. Never stuck with it. So finally one day, I'm like, hey, Reef Dudes, I'm just going to stick with it. I was actually supposed to start it with a buddy. And then he bailed on me, but I just ran with it myself and just kept on building it. And yeah, so that was probably about a year or so in a saltwater, and then many years down the aquatic hobby. So it really should be Reef Dude because the uh, the other guy bailed on you. Yeah, he did. <laughs> but I already bought the domain name, so I rolled with it. Oh, there you go. All right. <laughs> so what what was behind? Uh, was that was that pretty much what was behind it? Like two guys and two dudes, Reef Dudes. Yeah, we're yeah basically we were just gonna do one and just do different 
kind of things and teach stuff and uh, I've always just trying to like the whole goal of the channel has always been to teach things and just make it entertaining and make it fun and I've always been a very big DIY I like building things I like taking things apart and figure out how they work and that that's kind of what started it and I still do that not not quite as much now due to a lack of free time but definitely still happens so you know as I mentioned in the uh, in the intro you got a really very strong social media following what do you, what do you think has been behind that success in terms of you know having a lot of folks following on YouTube and Instagram and you know mm -hmm. also Facebook uh, the, the biggest thing is like everything I put out I always try and make it somewhat educational so teach something and make it entertaining and I think honestly that's it and consistency I've done a video every week just about every week for a couple of years now and same with live streams so just keep that consistent stuff coming and I, I've other people are, I'm sure, are addicted as much as I am, right? So let's get get that reef and fix. <laughs> so you mentioned live streams. What um, mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you think in terms of the effectiveness and, and the content you, that you put out? Do you think live streams are near the top of the list? I mean, what um, what's your goal with a live stream? I just do them for fun. I don't know. I, I feel guilty if I miss one now because I've been literally I do it every single Wednesday, right? So I honestly just feel guilty and. It's half the time, you know, sometimes I bring on guests, other times it's just random topics, and sometimes it's just random Q&As, but I don't know. I feel guilty if I don't, but I like doing it. Partially, it's like a guilty way for me to learn new things. You know, I can lure people on and learn something I want to learn about, and same time, hopefully teach other people or start those conversations to kind of like further the hobby more. So let's also talk about, um, you know, the influencer out there, you know, in mm -hmm. terms of being a social media influencer. What do you think that role has, um, how, do, how do you, how do you, how have you kind of like, um, um, falling into that role and and what kind of challenges mm -hmm. exist for you in terms of being an influencer? Um, I don't know if there's any really challenges per se. I mean, it's YouTube is literally like a second job. Like I feel like I have two full-time jobs doing YouTube, so it is a lot of work and half the time I'm up until the wee hours of the night, Sunday morning, so I can edit a video and have it published for Monday morning. So it definitely is a lot of work and I'm going to say the time commitment is the hardest thing, but this is the fact that I feel guilty if I don't do it. I make myself do it, and I think that goes a long way. Yeah, no, I think um, a lot of people don't realize what how tough it really can be mm -hmm. to to put out content on uh, whether it's YouTube or Instagram. But there's a lot of work that goes into the uh, to the shooting, the editing, um, the narration. It is not mm -hmm. easy, you know. And everybody has their yep. different styles and all that sort of thing. And and um, but you know, overall, it's not uh, it's not an easy gig. Yeah. Well, even like we were talking earlier, even just doing a live stream, right? You know, you're doing the same thing as that I'm doing, right? We're the editor, we're the moderator, we're the talent, the videographer, like you're doing it all, right? So it's definitely... Yeah, it, it's like, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we are one, uh, one man shows here and it's, um, it is a juggling act in terms of being that, um, you know, one that's, you know, the thing that always gets me is like trying to make sure technically things go off without a hitch. And if something happens, and you're in the middle of having a conversation with a guest, then that's uh, that's yeah. can be a little rough, <laughs> little yes, little rough. Yes, it does. Um, so you've been having a lot of conversations with a lot of folks in the industry. What, um, in your opinion, you know, I mean, you've mm -hmm. you've covered a lot of different things in, in terms of new product launches and and um, you know innovations that um, are, are you know have been out and, and are coming out. But what do you think in terms of the most important story in 2020 and let's take COVID off the table because that's it's been a crappy year because of COVID but you know for yeah. this past year 2020 what what's kind of like struck you as being one of the bigger stories in, in the uh, reef keeping hobby 
I this year I think one of the bigger things is the whole auto testers and I am a huge fan of not testing manually because I know I'm a slacker at it so I'm a big fan of the auto tester so that's I think that's been one of the bigger advancements I'd say this year and and um, in terms of the pipeline coming for 2021 mm -hmm. and beyond yep. any uh, any insight in terms of what we uh, might kind of see in terms of innovation in the future um, the only one that comes a hand off hand that I know for sure is coming out soon is Mastertronic. Um, so I run the Alcatronic on my tank and they're doing their own version that does automated tritation testing, which can basically test all, has a ton of vials and can do everything you want. So I'm kind of excited for that just because right now I have the Elk tester on my big tank, but I still have to manually test the rest of it. So right. automating that will be pretty awesome. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree. I think in terms of the, uh, the automation, you know, I have the um, the GHL KH director, and and that certainly mm -hmm. is a godsend because you know measuring oh, DKH yeah. is got to be the most important parameter, I would think, in terms mm -hmm. of rekeeping and keeping it stable. So being able to test, um, I mean, I used to like you know use a solid for test kit and test once a week, and hey, yep. you know you were good to go. But now you can test it like twenty four times a day. <laughs> you know? yep. Do you do, do you test your KHG that often? Uh, once a day. I do. Okay. How how often do you uh, do the Alcatronic? I do it twice a day because that's the lowest it lets me. Oh, really? <laughs> so Twelve hours. Yeah. But I would happily do it once a day if it let me. Yeah, I, I was doing it twice a day, but I I, I cut it back to uh, to once a day. Mm -hmm. Um, just looking here in terms of the chat to see whether or not we have any uh, questions going on here. Um, oh, we got a, over nine k read. We got uh, yeah. It's got a it's got a camera question there. You wanna you wanna uh, tackle that one, uh, Devin or? Yeah, a good budget friendly camera for coral picks. Honestly, easiest thing is using just your cell phone and getting either orange or yellow filter. Like I use this yellow one a lot, or you know you could use orange glasses. Either one of those will cut down the blue and give you drastically better photos. If you do want to get something more specific, it's, I don't know where it is in my room, but I have an underwater one. I think it's Panasonic, but it's underwater camera. I'll just dunk in the tank and put it two inches from the coral and get really cool close-ups. What's, uh, what's your go-to um, camera in terms of your videos and shooting the tank? I have a Sony a6500, and this is kind of my main one that I shoot with most of the time. I've got a Sony a7 III. Ah, nice. How do you like it? I like it a lot. I used to be a, a Canon uh, person. Yeah, mm -hmm. I had the uh, the Canon um, Mark D three, uh, 5D Mark three, but um, video wise, it was not not where I needed it to be. So I yeah. I made that jump from from Canon to Sony. I, I went from Nikon to Sony mainly for that good old, that their autofocus is just hard to beat. Yeah, yeah. I thought about the uh, the Panasonic, the Lumix, but um, I don't know. I I I, I I think I read some, it had some issues in terms of the, um, the autofocus in terms of the Panasonic mm. camera as well. Yep. Um, all right. So you put out a lot of content about your tanks and, and you, you released um, a couple of videos recently, one about your display tank, which is a water box peninsula aquarium. And we, and we do have something in common in that regard because I just started up my own, uh, Peninsulas. yeah, <laughs> peninsula, peninsula, uh, custom reef tank. So, but let's uh, let's start with the with your water box, and I, I pretty much so for those uh, folks that that follow Devin on uh, on YouTube, but I think it was like a twelve minute video. I chopped it up to about five or six minutes. So there is a lot of stuff that um, 
I, I took out just for the sake of brevity. But we'll, uh, we'll come back and talk about it. So it's just going to be Devin providing a, uh, a nine-month update, I believe, of the Waterbox uh, Aquarium. So we will, uh, we will check that out, and we'll come back, and we'll talk about it. What's going on guys? Devin from Reef Dudes. Now the water box tank is just about nearing about nine months old now so I figured a little bit overdue and finally time for an update on it. So the tank is definitely aging and settling in. Now there has been a few little issues lately that we'll touch on in just a little bit but overall the tank itself is looking pretty good. I still am running ozone. I get asked that constantly and there's tons and tons of awesome clarity looking down the tank and that is one of the main benefits and main reasons that I do run ozone. I'm just six feet of water you can see right to the end it's nice and clear and everything just looks really good now one sad thing did happen the other day I did lose my gold torch the other day it just one day's boop receded on me no idea why um, I have heard that does happen so it's a bit of a mystery of what's going on there but makes me sad a little gap in there I did love having that one now this did kind of spur me to test my tank and kind of see what's up with everything and there was one issue, my phosphates were certainly on the high side, so I've started to take some corrective actions to deal with that. Um, the other big issue that may or may not be related is my pH has been very low lately. With the windows open in the summer, lots of fresh air, it wasn't an issue at all. Um, but recently it's like 7.9 is my high, like it's been 7.7 something, like way, way, way too low. So I'm starting to work towards addressing that. The one other thing that's been really wacky lately is this guy. This is a meter shower side pasture. Generally, they're pretty easy. Now, I have two chunks in the tank. Um, there is one that's hanging out of here. And this guy overall has been pretty good. However, this one has been receding for the past few weeks. I'm kind of slowly watching the flesh go up on it. I don't know why. It might be phosphate related, might be pH related, but either way, we're working on fixing those two issues. The rest of the stuff in the tank is doing, doing pretty well. Um, despite the higher phosphates, the acros are still encrusting, they're going well. They're not quite as vibrant as I'd like them to be, and that is definitely gonna be because of the nutrients. Now, a couple things that I've been doing is start to deal with it. I put on my AI Prime back on the tank for now. Um, this one did grow chato like crazy for me in the past. So I put that on here, and we're gonna let that hopefully supercharge the chato a little bit more. So doing that, it already seems like it's starting to grow fairly well. Um, did that, of course, have my light shapers on here, mainly just to prevent LG, so I kind of directed them just so the lights aren't directly on the glass, or the acrylic, rather. And this should help reduce some of the potential coralline LG or anything growing, or the, reduce the need to clean this. In the chamber in here, I did just change some fresh carbon and also added some row of foss, so that's going to help pull back some of the phosphates as well, and we will get things back into a normal happy level. So let that be a lesson to you guys. Make sure you guys are keeping up on your test kits. So life got crazy. I haven't tested mine in ages. And now I'm dealing with a bit of the follow-up from it. The other thing I'm looking at doing is actually getting my second chamber for the CO2 reactor installed. Now it's a bit of a tight fit in here. Um, if I, the bottom is hitting the CO2 chamber. Now if I raise that up a little bit, it will stop that little, we got about an inch kind of flange around it. So that inch or two might just let me fit it in. So I'm gonna see if I can raise that up and then sneak it back a little bit further and see if I can just fit the second chamber in here. And if I do, that's gonna give the affluent more contact time with that media to help absorb it, which should also increase the elk a little bit more as well as absorb a little more CO2, which will help. Still doing my daily auto water changes and I'm currently doing 5,000 mils a day. 
was a little over a gallon. I might actually try raising that to about a gallon and a half or two gallons, and we'll see how that affects kind of the tank and the nutrient levels and everything else. But I do think the majority of it's probably going to happen with the rural foss and bringing on the AI Fuge light back on here. When I do kind of tap into the airline, I think I'll remove the silencers. We won't really need it and see if I can connect directly to the skimmer intake line. Um, I do have the ozone on here right now. That may come off later uh, because I'm going to be adding the UV on. I don't know if I'll need both of them, so we'll see. But when I was putting this in earlier, I did kind of plan this one. I know there's a union on here so I can pull it off and change it. And this valve is teed off my return pump and that goes to my Geo's cryptic reactor, which is on the other side of this wall. So what I'm going to do is put a 90 on it, bring that line this way, install the UV right here, and then it will go from there, return pump to the UV, come out into the cryptic, and then that will come back into the sump. Now I know that's not the ideal way to do it, but it's the best way I can kind of fit on the tank and I think it will still work pretty well. Now another thing you might have noticed is I actually put on the G5 diffusers. So these were the easiest install of my life. They literally just magnet directly onto the light. So boom, it's off. They're like, oh, let me put my diffuser on. Installed. It's like two seconds. So that was the easiest install ever. And overall they're looking pretty good. Now I don't think you need these on the G5. The G5 is blended very nicely already. And it's, I don't know, I'm back and forth. The G4s, I think they made a big difference. The G5s, the biggest thing I'd say is if I'm sitting at the dinner table, looking at the tank, there's a bit less glare on it. Um, that diffuse sheet kind of makes the lights a bit easier on the eyes. So that's the big difference versus seeing the, the LED diodes. So I'd say that's kind of like the biggest thing I've noticed. Um, it does kind of blend the light a little bit better. And it definitely does subdue the bit of shimmer in the bottom of the tank. So if you like more not as crazy shimmer, you want to subdue it a bit more or slightly less glare, then that's kind of a good route to go. And we are back. There's a lot going on there, Devin. <laughs> Always. I just want to acknowledge that we have a celebrity watching. Dan Marino is, is watching the live stream and I am a huge Dolphins fan. So yeah, go Dolphins, Dan. All right. Beautiful. All right. Yeah. So a um, couple quick things. The, um, have you ever measured par in that aquarium under the, uh, the G5s? I have. It's been a while and I don't fully remember, but I definitely have. Okay. <laughs> I was going to ask you in terms of how much yep. the uh, diffusers um, you know, cut back the par in that tank. But you... It was very minimal. Okay. It, it was, it's a couple percent of the par, but it's fairly negligible. Like you can just bump it up a few percent and it's not really a big deal. Gotcha. Um, what else did I want to ask you quickly before we kind of dig into some stuff a little bit deeper, mm -hmm. but, um, multiple yellow tangs, do, do they, uh, get along? How, how long have they been together? They have been in there since I started the tank. Um, I purchased, I got two tanks from one person or two tanks. So they're already together. And then I picked up a tank shutdown, which actually a majority of the fish came from. And so I kind of added them all at the same time. And, you know, the first few days, week, there's a bit of bickering. But after that, they're, even, they're fine. Like, now they'll all kind of swim together and school together. And there's the odd little spiff thing. But, like, I'd say 95% of the time, no issues at all. Yeah, I put in uh, four tanks at once. It was ac actually out of necessity in, in the new uh, Peninsula tank. I had a frag tank. And a 50-gallon little boy frag tank, some of my viewers know, that uh, sprung a leak. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I had to uh, scramble. Luckily, it was like a slow leak. Mm -hmm. But... I, I had to break down. I I got two frag tanks. I have one that's really like a gras tank, another that I use really just for fra frags. So that frag tank, I had to um, take all the frags and put into the gras tank. And, and I had 
four actual, you know, I had four tanks in that 50 gallon frag tank. And there was a couple of tanks in the, you yeah. know, there was a fox face and another tank oh. in the other frag tank. I was like, I can't do that. And I started my, uh, my new peninsula tank. I think it was, um, I had added four chromis a week before that, uh, that happened. And those were the first fish I had in that tank, which was about two weeks old. So, but the chromis were doing really well. I was like, I'm going for it. I'm just going to put those, those tangs into the, uh, to the new peninsula. And, um, you yeah, know, they, they, so far, so, so good. Far, so good. Um, let's talk about, um, and I see Ray S has this question, and, I, and this was a question that I wanted to talk to you about as well, Devin, mm -hmm. in terms of flow in a peninsula tank. So talk to us about what you've got going on there in terms of circulation, and it, it's a mixed reef. Yeah. So flow is 100% a bit of a challenge of peninsula, especially if you're kind of OCD like me and you don't want any pumps on those three sides. Yeah. So... I, at one point, I was thinking about doing gyres on it. I ended up going for MP60s. So they are big, beefy pumps. And they're currently running about 70 to 75%. So they're running pretty high. So it's a lot of flow I'm actually pushing through there. But it's such a kind of a broad chunk of flow. So you can kind of see the torches behind me waving around. So it's on reef crest. So it kind of goes up and down. Um, the biggest thing is to make sure you mix up the flow. If you don't, if it's always pushing, then you'll get that weird bit of protein layer kind of build up at the end of the peninsula, which is annoying. But if you have enough surface agitation, or sometimes, you know, one pump runs a bit higher just so it circles it a bit, then you don't really get that. That's kind of, that was the only one little bit of hurdle, I'd say, is playing with the flow to make sure you don't get that protein build up at the far end surface. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it is definitely a big challenge in terms of peninsula tank. Something that I, you know, I knew about going into it, but um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, I have a, um, your tank is six foot long, right? Yeah, yeah. Mine, mine's six foot long, but it's also, mine, mine is three foot wide, you know, so it's, mm -hmm. it's 225 gallons. It's only 20 inches tall. Um, I started with four MP40s and I, you know, mm -hmm. mine is a bare bottom, but um, I just wasn't getting the, uh, you know, the flow even at 100% mm -hmm. on those MP40s. Yeah. So I, I swapped out two of the MP40s for MP60s. So now I have two MP60s mm -hmm. and two MP40s all cranking. It's a good show. Yeah, all cranking at 100% on the, um, the gyro mode. You know, so yep. it's um, definitely, I had, I had some plans for, for some nice um, clownfish going into that tank, but now I'm not sure, you know they, they might be uh, well, holding on to something, though. Yeah. You're a bit higher. I had mine at 75% on Reef Crest. You're, you're a little bit higher than me, but not too bad. Now, so far, there hasn't really been any issues with that. Like, I'll see fish swim up right beside it and play with it, but I mean, it cranks up and down constantly. But yeah, it's a good chunk of flow. Vermont John. You don't have a sand bed, though. No, I don't. You have a sand bed. Vermont John says he's got yeah. six MP40s and 150 gallon. Wow. You're, you're cranking. A, is, that a, uh, is that an SPS dominant uh, tank, uh, Vermont, John? That's an in-house jacuzzi, I think, right there. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about your decision to go um, with sand versus bare bottom. You just, um, what, what's behind that? Your aesthetics. Aesthetics. I just like the look of sand. I, my frag tank, bare bottom, but the one in my living room, I just like the look of sand better at the end of the day. Yeah, I have always had sand in my tank, so this is actually a first for me to... Um, mm -hmm. You know, to have a, a a bare bottom tank, but you know, I want you know my tank is going to be SPS dominant. There'll be a couple of like LPS mm -hmm. in there, so I really you know felt like if I'm cranking flow at that one end, and I'm the same as you, I did not want to have to have any you know type of recirculating pump on any of the three viewing panels. So mm -hmm. I just kind of felt like the the kind of pumping power that I needed 
sand was probably not going to uh, be an option for me. No, that's true. You you can get away with it. Um, I also noticed when I first started the tank, I had the pumps much lower. As the tank kind of settled in and all those fines worked their way through the filters, and I could slowly crank the flow up a little more over time. So I think it was only probably around 45, 50% when I started, and now I'm up to 70, 75%. So every couple of months, I just up it a little bit more. Talk about um, you know having a rimless tank and in terms yep. of flow. Have, have you had you know issues in terms of uh, water splashing over, or you kind of like got that um, you know kind of all figured out? The you do if you adjust your pumps. You definitely want to be there and watch it to make sure you're not like pulsing and creating a standing wave that peaks over the edge. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, the big honestly, the only thing that I really do is either fish jumps and splashes over the edge, and I gotta wipe it off. Or um, when I'm cl magnet cleaning, you just gotta go slow with that that top couple inches. Below that, you're fine, but you just gotta go slow at the top, or otherwise, yeah. you can easily. Now you don't you don't get to any salt creep going over the uh, the rimless tank in certain spots, or mm, not really. Um, maybe like every few weeks, I'll take a chunk of paper towel and just give it a little quick wipe around, just get back to shining pristine. Besides from that, nothing overly that I do about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one one other thing I wanted to ask you in terms of um, lighting. So you're you're mm -hmm. using the, uh, the the Radeon Gen 5s. So how how are those comparing to the uh, you were using the uh, the Gen 4s before? Yep. Yep. I actually have the Gen 4s on the frag tank beside me. Okay. So the biggest difference is like they're both amazing lights. The Gen 4s are more concentrated downwards. So I am gonna say you're gonna get a little more par and penetrate deeper with the Gen 4s, where the Gen 5s they spread the light out more, so you get more width-wise coverage but a little less par because you're spreading it out instead of pushing it straight down as much. Right. Um, you do get a bit better blending or less caustics, I guess you'd say, with the Gen 5s. You don't get the disco-y as much. It's, I had the Gen 4s with diffusers, and it was very subtle. I'd say the Gen 5s is like having diffusers on the Gen 4s, if not slightly more blended. Um, those are probably the biggest differences, I'd say. But other than that, they're pretty similar. So Vermont John is saying, this is my first time with a, a rimless as well. Nervous about longevity. Purchased a, uh, a CAD. Not sure what that, um, what that is. Or CAD. It's a brand of aquariums. Ah, yeah. gotcha. Yep. Um, Reef Keeper, the acrylic lid on a rimless tank helps keeps the water when, when using the flipper scraper. When it's off, you've got to go slow. Mm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That that top that top couple inches. Have you ever um, had uh, nets over your tank to keep fish from um, carpet yep. surfing? Yep. No, I have a I have a top of my tank. I leave one on pretty much all the oh, time. Oh, do it. Yeah. You know, I have never um, I have never used a nylon net for um, for my tanks. I mean, I my tanks are are eurobraced, and I think I mm -hmm. think the eurobracing does help in terms of the uh, does, the carpet sure. surfing. Um, I had a. Um, uh, I've got a, a Chiodi Rast. Thank God I still have him. He's jumped twice now. And um, yeah. one time he jumped and, and I came downstairs and he was on the floor, kind of dried out. And I was like, oh mm -hmm. man, those are great Rasts. I mean, that was like my favorite Rasts. So I just picked him up and put him in the tank and somehow he yep. came to life and, and um, you know, lived. And then like, mm -hmm. um, then I bought a, um, then I bought a, a, a nylon uh, net for a top. And mm -hmm. I never opened it up. I never took it out of the package. And sure, and sure enough, that RAS jumped again. But, uh, uh, but this time, I was sitting right there you know, on my desk right in front of the tank. So I was able to scoop him right up. And uh, you know, knock on wood, it's, it's been a couple of years, and he hasn't uh, tried it again. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, uh, two good stories out of this. Well, one, not quite as entertaining, but so ironically, for my frag tank, I bought a mesh top, and I still haven't made it and put it on yet. And I do have a yellow chorus rat, so thankfully he has not took the leap of faith out of there. Now, with the other one, I had a cleaner ras. I eventually put a top on the tank. I learned my lesson. But he jumped out three times, and I kept putting him back in, and he kept being fine. And then one day, I walked downstairs, and he's, like, on the floor, covered in, like, dog hair. My dog's, like, <laughs> stiff and him, gives him a lick and stuff. And it's like, so I take him, take all the fur off, put him back in the tank, swims around. I just called, started calling him Terminator because he just he was, like, a survivor. But, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, no, that, um, that stuff is just, I mean, the one thing I can understand is how a fish can survive the mm -hmm. impact of a fall like that. Isn't it like jumping out of a 10-story building for a fish? You know, I mean, how do, how do, how, how would, how do they, uh, you know, survive the fall? I mean, mine landed yeah. on tile, not carpet. So it, mm -hmm. it, it could not have been a pleasant feeling to uh, be smacking on that uh, cold tile. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, so in terms of the lights, what, what, what are you running in terms of a light profile? It seems to be uh, on the blue uh, end of the spectrum. Um, it's, it is more white. You just, it, the camera doesn't pick it up as well. So how I have my lights set, I have something similar to an AB plus as the overall schedule. And then for about four or five hours of the day, I amp up all my whites to do it much warmer spectrum. So from about noon to 4 PM, roughly it's fairly hot on the toasty side and the rest of the day, it's more of an AB plus type of a look, but I'm just pulling up my lighting profiles. We'll see if it focuses. Um, so if anyone does want to copy it, I did do a video on it and I did post it all, but you can kind of see. So ramps up pretty high and then there's about four or so hours of more intense light and then it drops back down to AB plus-ish and I got a decent ramp up and down either side of it. Yeah, nice. Yep. Yeah. Now that's the whole thing with LEDs. This is my uh, my first go, you know, with, with an LED um, lighting over a reef tank. And man, let me tell you, it is complicated. I mean, it's not like the old plug and play with the metal halides and the T5s. I mean, you've actually got to think about this stuff and it can be dangerous, right? I mean, you can, you can tinker too much. Halides, Dimitras, how, how's the transition so far? So far, so good. I'm, I'm digging them. I mean, you know, coverage wise are awesome. And I'm, I've got six of them over the uh, peninsula tank. So um, I'm going to actually be putting out a video on it next week. And um, I've got some really great par readings out of the uh, the Mitras. So, yeah, I mean, there's no there's no um, shady spots. There is, um, it, you know, the, the, the Mitras are just a very well-engineered light. And it's, um, mm -hmm. it's, been, it's been really good. But, you know, right now I don't have any corals in there. So really the, the proof will be in the pudding in terms of you know, how the, uh, the corals perform under those lights. But, yep. um, you know, I'm going to be running a, um, a, um, a more uh, a blue spectrum than I'm used to seeing with my, uh, mm -hmm. my halides and T5s. And it's tough because I've got the tanks in the same room. So when I'm looking mm -hmm. at my, my 400 watt 20K radiums, which are really like very crisp white with a hint of blue. Yeah. And then I pivot around mm -hmm. and I look at the LEDs. It's like, wow, that's like a blue wave I'm getting hit by there. But then you start looking at it and you, and you kind of stare at it for a little bit. And then all of a sudden it's kind of like, all right, that's not too bad. But it's something mm -hmm. different. It is. And I, I'm always torn because I appreciate both. I like the white, crisp, vibrant look. And I do like the blue color pop as well. So... That's partially why I have different chunks of the day and different spectrums to go through it all. Yeah. Just looking to see uh, what folks are saying in the chat here again. 
Um, well, let me, I got some more questions, Devin, in terms of uh, your, your calcium and alkalinity um, supplementation. So I, I saw the, uh, the calcium reactor, and um, we're going to take a look at the, uh, at the frag system. But um, have, you, have you dosed two-part in the past, or have you just always been a calcium reactor person? Nope, you used, used to do two-part. Um, I've, I've probably tried every dosing method, eh, dosing method out there. Uh, currently, on the frag tank, I'm just using Kalkwasser which is taking me way further than I expected it would. And then on the main tank, just calcium reactor more or less, and I'm dosing some trace elements on the side. Now, um, in, in terms of anything, are, are you dosing anything, you know, to supplement the calcium reactor that um, you've got in the main display? Are you dosing any trace elements? Yeah, trace elements, I am. Uh, I purposely didn't dose anything except for the calcium reactor for the first few months and so I could do an ICP test and see what it was lacking and not giving me. So there's like strontium and like molybdenum and there's certain elements that were low so I started to dose just some kind of trace elements on top of it just to fill in those gaps. Now let's let's dig into a little bit about um, pH and you've, you've put out some videos about yeah. pH, you've had some live streams about pH and you've had some challenges sure with, your, um, <laughs> with your tank and um, yep. you know I think Part of it, right, is because of the calcium reactor and, and the and the CO two mm -hmm. and, and what the uh, the impact on on the pH is when you're using injecting CO two. So just just talk about your journey, I guess, in terms of trying to you know combat this pH issue. And and you you've been talking about doing a few different things, right? You've talked about running a uh, an airline <laughs> from outside mm -hmm. into the skimmer intake, right? You're you're talking yep. about um, an air exchange unit what what's uh what's mm -hmm. going on what's the latest and the greatest in terms of your battle with the ph all right so during the summer windows are open it's doing pretty good not a big deal it starts getting cold out shut all your windows and also my ph is like just tanks on me so i'm like hey this this is I need to deal with this i think my at one point my high was or low was down to like 7.7 .7 or 6.7 or something super low which is way too low for me anything under 7.8 i'm like hey gotta deal with it so I added a second chamber to my calcium reactor full of like finer media to soak up more pH. Um, with the refugium, I'm running, you know, dripping that into the refugium as well. I might try dripping into the calcium reactor. That's something that Chris said on my lives from the other day. Yeah. Um, I ran an outside air, outside airline, but basically up in the wall to my attic because the tank's kind of in the middle of the house. So straight outside is not an option. But doing that actually is basically outside air up there. So that made a decent difference. And then I took it another level further and built a big soda lime reactor and put that on the intake. So that's where I'm currently at. And I'm also looking at an air exchanger for the house to drop the CO2 in the whole house, which is good for me and the tank. So it's good for everyone in the house. So that's kind of the next step. And I'm, this is getting extreme, but I'm also looking at doing a hybrid kind of. So, you know, people do recirculating a reactor through the skimmer yeah. to re-scrub the tank air. So I'm going to do kind of a hybrid method of that, where I'm going to do that as well as sucking outside air. So it's going to be like kind of like a half and half. So I'm hoping that will do it. And then with the air changer, and I'm also debating dripping some of the the other nasty stuff in there to bond the hydroxide atoms and boost it some more. So with, with, the, um, with the other steps you've taken thus far, where is your pH kind of gone to in terms of the range? How, how much has it increased? All right. All right. So what are we at? What's today? Today, the minimum 7.92, average 8, maximum 
But if I click back, let's go to like late October and minimum 7.66. Wow. Average 7.8, max 7.9. That's pretty good. So my old, yeah, so my old max, my old high point is my new low point. So it's been a decent improvement. Have you thought about um, at one point going back to two part because of the challenge that you've been facing or you just figure that the uh, the steps you've taken now and the air exchanger, you're all in on the, uh, the calcium reactor? I'm all in. Cal calcium reactors are just so stable, right? If I look at my alkalinity, it's it just keeps the tank so stable, which I think is very important as well. Yeah, like my elk test from the last few tests, like 8.4, the one before 8.27, 8.39, 8.4. Like it just keeps it so stable, which is important. Um, yeah, I don't know how to get it. And it's so cheap to run. Like once you have it, it's like dirt cheap to run. Right. You fill it full of media, you ignore it for like a year. Right. Until you got to top it off. Right. Again. And and you're running a um, you're running the Versa dosing uh, pump with the 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 effluent yeah. to um, just dial yeah. that right in. That's the best part. So I have the Alcatronic, which has my tank every twelve hours. I have the Versa. So literally, I'm sitting here, and you know, every couple of days, I'll look at it. And if I'm trending up or downwards, I open my app. I'm like, oh, okay, add one more mil to the Versa. Okay, I'm done. Look at my trends the next few days. Like it's just so easy to tweak it now. Do you so are you, the uh, the Alcatronic? You can actually control your calcium reactor, right? Are, are you, so you're not doing that? No, I, no I, I've never done that. So you can control a. It has like a I guess like a Wi-Fi or a Bluetooth right. outlet that it can control based off your right. Reading. So if you're testing every two hours or so, you can have it turn it on or off based on that. Right. But I tend to just tune it so that it just keeps it stable. Um, Dano's Reef, what medium am I using? I have a special blend of, because it's a really big reactor, I had to fill it. <laughs> I got Two Little Fishies Reborn, I got Carib Sea Arm, and Brightwell has one called something or other that Lazarus, I think is called. So I have three different types of medium there, so it's definitely a special blend. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, it, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like in the same boat. In, in terms of, um, you know, the two-part versus the calcium reactor. And I've been running, you know, two-part on my 187-gallon tank, which is, you know, mm -hmm. been going for three years plus right now and, and doing really well. And my pH, you know, for that tank averages like from 8.4 to 8.1 as, as a low, which is, which is nice. good because, you know, mm -hmm. I, um, I have the tanks here in a finished basement. And in the wintertime, the windows get sealed shut. And... Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it, it, it definitely, definitely the, the pH drops in the wintertime for me. Um, but, um, you know, so on the new tank, I am going to be running a calcium reactor. And, and that's got me, you know, um, worried a little bit in terms of the pH. But in, mm -hmm. in the past, I've always run a, uh, you know, a calc, uh, calc uh, with the um, with the calcium, re you know, reactor to try to elevate that pH. And I've always had dual chamber calcium reactors to um, mm -hmm. to kind of help um, you know absorb the uh, the extra um, the co2 so that's my plan with this new tank and and um, yeah and in fact um, Greg Carroll turned me on to this uh, reef octopus this new um, reef octopus uh, calcium reactor with a varios pump and he he, mm -hmm. um, he has a single chamber one but I'm I just started running the, this new dual chamber one. And, mm -hmm. you know, I don't have any corals in the tank right now. I think the only thing that's consuming any um, calcium and alkalinity is the coralline algae in there on the rock. Yep. So, you know, it's a really low demand at this point, and the pH is not an issue. But, you know, I'm in the same boat as you. I'm going to um, 
I'm definitely going to be getting a, an air exchange unit installed um, soon, very soon. I love the extremeness of it all. <laughs> What's that? That I love the extremeness. Yeah, of it no, I know. <laughs> well, I had um, I had Adam from Battle Corals on here, and he was like the guy that kind of put mm -hmm. that uh, bug in my head. You know, he um, he said he saw a world of difference when he was mm -hmm. able to elevate his pH and and one of those. Uh, I think he's got several air exchange units. Made a big difference mm -hmm. in terms of getting that uh, up well, there. Yeah, all that surface agitation is going to make it, the air is going to equalize with the the CO two is going to equalize with the tank water with the air in the room as it agitates and does an oxygen exchange. So if you have high CO two in your house, it's going to work its way into the water, which is going to raise those car carbonic acid in your water and lower your pH. So if you can get rid of the CO two in the surrounding air, then it's just going to increase in the room because it's going to equalize with it over time. So it's definitely more of an extreme thing, but if you think about it, if your CO2 concentration in your house is too high, it's really not good for you either, right? It's You're more alert, you're more awake with lower CO2 values, so it's good for you as well. So it's a good excuse to sell the wife on it if you need to, and then <laughs> get it in there, but it's good all So around. you mentioned in one of your, um, I think, live streams with Mike Paletta that um, he suggested a, uh, a CO2 meter. Did, did yes. you uh, end up <laughs> investing in one of those, and what did you find out? I sure did, I sure did. Um, so outside air is roughly 400 ppm. The house kind of bounces anywhere from, I'm going to say, low end would be six something, but on average, I can say it's 700 to 900. You know, sometimes it gets up to 10,000, 1,100. So it really depends how many people are around and people are breathing around the tank and the living room and everywhere else. But so the closer you can get to outside air, the better. So Vermont John is uh, asking, why not get air for your skimmer from outside? I think you, you, you are doing, you're do. doing that right now. You know, I tried doing that. And um, mm -hmm. I did not see a difference in my um, my pH, but um, I I would say at about a 0.1 boost. Now, one thing to look, it might be worth getting a CO2 meter and seeing what your ambient CO2 error is, because if it's already low, then air exchanger might not give you a ton of benefit, right? But if it's high, then it will. So what do, what do, uh, one of those uh, meters cost? Yeah, it was about a hundred bucks. Hmm. There's there's cheaper ones, but they all had shoddy reviews. The one I got was somewhere around a hundred bucks. All right, you'll have to you'll have to and, send me a link. Cause yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I, I don't want to be investing that kind of money if um, I don't have. Well, I think I have an issue, but we'll. Uh, or, or you just put that hundred bucks towards your exchanger and just do it. Regardless. Yeah, there you go. Just just I go know. all in. <laughs> um, Vermont John BRS told me that even during extreme cold weather, getting air from the outside is not a problem. But I guess CO two in the house will still be an issue. You betcha. In the winter, windows are all closed, babies sealed up. You're definitely gonna not have as good ambient air exchange. And then the other consideration is an air exchanger. If you're listening cold, uh, called an HRV, which is a heat recovery ventilator. Right. And it mixes the warm air with through like a little radiator with the cool air to pre-warm it, so it makes it more efficient. So you're not just pumping cold air in your house. So they're 85-ish percent efficient. But doing active air exchange is much higher benefit than a passive air exchange, which is just having the window open because you're forcing that air in and out and making sure you know it's keeping the air fresh in the house. Yep. Yeah. No, I'm I'm definitely excited to kind of see what kind of difference it makes in terms of the um, mm -hmm. pH of my tanks for sure. So so Devin. Yep. Um, we also have some clips of your uh, your frag tank, and that's a relatively new frag tank, right? Yep, a couple months. Okay, ago. so there's a lot going on that tank, and and um, again, I, I took a uh, a snippet of the YouTube video you put out, the last YouTube 
video update you did on that frag tank. So we're gonna we're gonna take a look at that snippet, and then we're gonna come back and and talk about some of the stuff that's going on in that tank. So um, sounds good. Let's run roll that tape. Hang on one second here. What's going on guys, Devin from Reef Dudes. Now I am way overdue for an update on the frag tank. I've definitely had a few little hurdles getting everything set up. I know we did kind of the bare bottom setup on this, moved everything in. And at first I had a bit of dinos in the tank. So what I did to kind of partially combat that was use a bit of Dr. Tim's waste away, a little bit of peroxide, and I overfed the tank like crazy on purpose to boost those nutrients up. Now, the fallout of that is the dino went away, but then a couple weeks later, boom, whole tank was full of hair algae, bits of barapsis. It was looking pretty bad. So tons and tons of algae in there. Um, just because I had a bit of barapsis as well, I decided to bring out the big guns and I got some fluconazole. Now, if you guys haven't used that before, it is an antifungal medication and it works amazingly well getting rid of hair algae or bryopsis. So I added that to the tank and I actually did a double dose of it. And I let the tank sit for about two weeks before I turned the skimmer or anything back on. And two weeks later, absolutely pristine, not an ounce of algae in the tank. So that stuff does work very, very well. Now overall, I'm gonna say things are looking pretty darn good in the tank. Um, the only one thing is I do have a little bit of dino back, so it's a little bit of a vicious cycle and dino's a bit of a pain. Now I did already take my UV and put it on the water box, otherwise I would just throw it on this tank and let it do its thing. Um, so one thing that I have been doing now is starting to dose just a little bit of 3% hydrogen peroxide, and this actually does help with the dinos. And I think in the near future I might actually get another UV and just put it on this tank and just be done with it and not even worry about it. So once I get rid of that bit of dino in there, I think we'll be back to a happy place. Now the corals themselves are actually all looking really awesome, so getting lots of good growth in there and everything looking pretty happy. Uh, Gear-wise is an interesting one to talk about too. So as you guys know, I went with the GHL as the main controller on this tank, and so far so good. It is definitely a little trickier to set it up until you get your head around the way they do things, and once you do, then it's not too bad. And I actually did just pick up uh, expansion cards. This is a PH and Redox card. So we'll get that installed today. Um, so we'll have to pop that open and install the expansion card. That's mainly just so I can use the ORP probe in the sump. And then for the future calcium reactor, once that's rolling, then that will be another way to control it. Now on the flip side, I also have been testing out the Hydros. So Coral View Hydros, that's been quite a bit of attention around it. Fairly new controller and got the little Wi-Fi power bar there. So this has been up running as well. So it is kind of crazy overkill running two controllers in tandem, but it's a good way to test subject it. Now with the Hydros, the few sensors that I got so far, I do have a water level sensor down there. And if that one ever gets too high, it'll shut off the filter roller, shut off the skimmer. Um, probably might even make it shut off the Clarisy. Or not the Clarisy, the turf scrubber. Um, also another one, I really love the sensor. I have the little skimmer saver, whatever it is from Auto XP, XP Aqua. And it's in the skimmer on my big tank. So if it ever, the cup's ever full, it'll shut it off. So super cool to see Hydro's teaming up with them and using some of their sensors because they work really well. So I love that it goes right through the cup. So hasn't quite triggered it yet, but we'll test this one out pretty soon. We'll hopefully hit it. Um, same thing, Clarity. So a few different things, basically the stuff on this half of the tank. I am running off the hydras. Uh, the other one I'm gonna hook up to is the leak sensor, which I think is super cool. Either just put it around the base of the sump or the base of the sand. I just gotta find a nice way to like tuck it in there and use that. So if anything does trip it off, I'll get an alert. Can have it shut off the skimmers or it pumps potential stuff that is causing a leak. Um, 
Not too much fancy for a control there, but I also got the NIOS on there. So those are kind of the four things running. Uh, move that over later, we have the pH probe and the temperature probe and all that jazz on here as well. So it is kind of cool to be able to see both controllers, compare things, make sure everything's all good and happy. Um, now the HydroSAP itself has been pretty solid so far. I love that interface is wirelessly with the Alcatronic, so I can see what my ELK is, and see what my pH is, and all my sensors and stuff right out of the front. Um, so I do actually got to put the other two in there. So far this is a clarity in the skimmer programmed, and the rest are just always on, but I just installed that, so I'll set that on a timer. And we are back. Yeah. Welcome looking, back. Looking, looking pretty awesome there, uh, Devin, in terms of that tank. So you got a lot of things going on there. It, um, it's been kind of an odyssey, right? You got the, uh, the dinos, you, you, um, you've been battling them. And so it's, uh, we were talking like during the, uh, during the clip, you and I, it's, it's kind of like a vicious cycle because you, you kind of like, you, you snuff one problem out and then another one kind of like, uh, pops up. <laughs> yep. It keeps it interesting, right? Yeah. In one aspect, it gives me an excuse to attempt different methods and different, <laughs> different ways of dealing with things. But yeah, definitely a bit of thing. And if you if you might have noticed, I'm a little bit of a gear junkie, and I love automating things. So, so in terms of the dynos, what um, mm -hmm. what do you think is going to be the uh, the ultimate? Uh, you know, how do you how do you ultimately think you're going to win that battle? I mean, UV and mm -hmm. um, nutrients is that kind of like your game plan? Um, this tank, more or less, yes. Um, in the past, like I had dynos on my water box tank before as well and that one i did the dark tim's waste away did some vodka dosing with it to use the bacteria to fight it and i i made a few things angry during that process but i got rid of it and i beat it and i was happy um in my last lagoon tank i had a bit of dinos for a while so i probably just transferred over them when i upgraded the tank and i did that and i did actually have i just threw uv on there and got rid of most of the dinos moved the tank everything was happy for a while and then i came back eventually so I actually did get another UV that I am going to throw in this tank just as preventative, just so I don't have to deal with it, because to be honest, I'd rather just not deal with it. Um, but now what I did in the past, I don't know what I did. I think I just used Waste Away and a bit of carbon dosing to get rid of them. And I also was upping my nutrients, so then I purposely overfed way too much food to boost my nutrients up. And dinos went away, but then I had hair algae and bryopsis and a bunch of other nasty algaes that took off. So then I did a bit of couple bit of fluconazole which is like magic for algae like that we, two weeks later tanks pristine but then like a few days later dino came out so now i'm dealing with the dino so i'm almost there yeah it is it is a battle and you got to be persistent um did you do a double dose of the fluconazole i did <laughs> yeah you know a while ago i i did a single dose of the fluconazole and um you know the bryopsis did not um reappear for a long time, but it did eventually come back after four or five months, you know, for me, but I did not mm -hmm. do that double dose. But uh, I, I know a lot of folks that do the double dose and, and it never does come back. But, you know, I, yeah. I think there's also, um, you got to be careful in terms of not sanitizing, but make, making sure that, um, you know, things in the tank are um, um, clean properly so that you don't mm -hmm. reintroduce, inter, uh, reintroduce the, um, the bryopsis you know, after the treatment. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, as reading something with Vermont John, I decided to get the UV after I washed you. It was on the fence. So I've I've been in the hobby for years, never used UV. And I wanted to try it for ages now because I've always used ozone mainly for water clarity. And like I had dinos, did beat it. 
And when I had that other UV, ironically, I threw it on my little lagoon tank that I used to have. And, you know, after a couple of weeks, it got rid of the dino. So I was like, oh, UV does work pretty well for that. And then I moved it to my big tank. And then, of course, a few weeks later, dinos <laughs> came back. So I was like, ah, whatever. So I ended up just getting a second UV, just a smaller one. I'm going to let it run on one of my return lines just permanently, just as preventative. Um, Clarity-wise, it both of them give you an awesome clarity in your water, either UV or ozone, but UV has a benefit of killing, you know, some of the bacteria and just being preventative. So seems like a good benefit. Greg's asking you how much of the hydrogen peroxide you're dosing. <laughs> a scientific glug. I was watching the videos like, oh, yeah, I haven't dosed it today. So I literally just go, nope. Um, I keep thinking I should put on a doser, but I just use 3%. Uh, the general recommended dose is 1 mil per 10 gallons. My tank's roughly 150 gallons beside me, so I'm just like, so I haven't measured. But one mil per 10 gallons is the general recommendation. Have you um, started your tanks with traditionally with dry rock, or have? Yeah. Okay. So was that the, was that also true with the frag tank, or did you use some seasoned uh, rock from the display to kind of help you know seed that tank and start it up? So this tank has no sand. Um, there's very minimal rock in it. The, the rocks that are transferred are whatever had coral growing on it. Most of my filter media is, I have the eShots Biolux, those the cubes. I have the Bright Whale bricks, and I think I have a marine pier block in there as well. So I had a bunch of those media that I had on my previous tank, and I, and I also threw some in the water box for a while. So I had a bunch of seeded media from two different tanks. That's all of my sum. So that's the majority of it that I brought it in. Now, this is also my first bare bottom tank I've done as well. So I know mm. that always adds a few little hiccups in when you're first starting a new tank. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've talked about it a lot on my uh, live streams and my videos, but I've, I've only had one tank that I started. It's actually my 187-gallon tank <clears throat> that I started with, with dry rock. And, um, yeah, it was I, – I, I, I got dinos and bacterial bloom and, and diatoms and – uh, some serious cyano after I knocked out the dinos, just like you, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, well, I don't know if you got the cyano, but I just, you know, something else popped up yep. opportunistically after I got the, mm -hmm. uh, the dinos out of there. And, um, so with my, the, the new 225 gallon peninsula tank, I just started that with, with live rock and, mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, I mean, what, what are your thoughts in terms of, you know, um, BRS and, and Tidal Gardens have done some videos on this whole um, negative uh, space aquascape, the NSAs, and I mean, it's really mm -hmm. cool looking and, and all that stuff. I mean, it, it definitely takes a lot of work and there's a lot of advantages yep. to being able mm -hmm. to, to craft a, uh, a tank with dry rock. And I know Greg is, uh, yep. is <laughs> probably going to comment about he's had no problems at all with his dry rock only startup tank, but um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I have not been as fortunate, but what, what are your thoughts in terms of using the dry rock and, and all the different kind of aquascaping you can do with that? I mean, is that a, a is that plus outweigh the, the disadvantages of some of the lack of biodiversity? Okay, so live rock is definitely easier and you have less issues starting with it. My very first saltwater tank ever was a bunch of live rock I bought off somebody that had it cycle the fish in it sitting in a big tank in his basement. Um, and everything was pretty darn smooth for me. So my experience with like, live pre-cycled rock definitely goes a long way even with dry rock i pre-cycle it still so it's not fully dry by the time it's in the tank usually i'll throw it in a brute for like a month or so and use some cycle bacteria and like do it so it's not a hundred percent dry like it is but it isn't um you, you don't quite have that biodiversity now the advantage of the dry rock is you can get a lot cooler with your aquascapes right 
So it partially depends on the style you like. I know they have the whole NSA things or negative space aquascape, so it's not a big rock wall, but it's a lot more open space with tiny little branches going everywhere. I've kind of did something in the middle. Like a lot of my rock in the tank behind me on the water box is the Marco Rock shelf rock. I use that in a bit of the base, and I kind of just made my own funky, weird structures. And I spent like a month on that. Like I had the Did you? way before I had the wow. tank. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I was out there and like every day I go out and tweak it and take it to some more. It's like literally like it took me ages to do it. But I just constantly kept tweaking and tweaking and tweaking until I had something really cool that I liked. So, yeah. I, I now go ahead. No, I was gonna say now the only one big thing I'd say with the NSA ones is you don't really have a lot of the proper like fish caves and stuff. Right. And if you're heavily stocking a tank. Usually, if there's aggression, it's over territory, or okay, the little caves or cubby holes, or lack of food, right? So if you're feeding well everything else, I find that it doesn't have as many little hidey holes for the fish. Like, again, once it's fully grown with the corals and everything else, there's a lot more nooks and crannies. But if you just have, you know, like a bonsai tree, there isn't really many caves and stuff in there, which isn't as good for the fish. So you kind of got to take that into consideration when you're building it. Make sure you have all those little homes throughout the aquascape as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it is really, really neat in terms of what you can do with that stuff, and, and uh, I just love the look. I, I just wish you could do that with Live Rock, you know? I mean, that would be mm -hmm. just so cool. And I did kind of, like, contemplate that. I was like, you know, I, I reached out to, uh, to Joe uh, Caprietta at Unique uh, Corals. I was like, and, and you know, he, um, he, he also has um, got a, a stake in Marco Rocks. So I was mm -hmm. like, Joe, is there a way that I could possibly do this that, you know, potentially do some cool aquascaping with um you know using the uh, the mortar that you guys have mm -hmm. and and just try to like do that with the live rock but you know it would it would entail um you know having the rock out of, yeah having the rock out of the water for a few hours probably some die off and it would be a challenge so i ultimately just decided mm -hmm. to um to go the old-fashioned route with the uh, with the live rock and just um mm -hmm. you know do some strategic stacking and, and lock the rocks together yep. and so i didn't use any putty or, or any uh super glue you can use some of those mortars underwater yes but it's messy yeah and it generally gets like a bit of a film on your glass you got to clean i've done it so you can definitely glue stuff underwater but it, it's a lot messier with the tank and everything else um if you do do it though i would 100 percent recommend taking all your creations and throw it in a brute and heater and some flow and just dose a bunch of good bacteria to pre-cycle it as well. Daniel's Reef said he was able to actually do that with live rock. Did yep. lose some of the I microfauna. Mean, yeah. You probably will. Like, like you, you could escape it in the tank. You could pull it out and, you know, strategically glue stuff and just keep it wet. Don't let it dry out. And you will lose some, but you won't lose it all. You could just sprinkle your tank water on it constantly. But let's, um, let's, let's change the subject a little bit here and talk about additives and, and supplements. Mm -hmm. What, um, what do you use and, and, um, what, what's been your experience with, um, you know, those types of, um, additions to the, uh, to the reef tank? Which ones of many? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So if you do big regular water changes, you can get away without adding much to it. If you don't do a lot of water changes, you're eventually going to deplete a lot of the macro supplements in your tank, which is like trace elements and other things. So if you do lots of big water changes, probably not an issue. But eventually, you're going to run out. 
and most people don't test this stuff. Like if you do an ICV test, you know, every six months or so and something's crazy low, then you're like, okay, maybe I should start dosing this. Um, so I think that's one consideration. Now, like I dosed but on my Lagoon tank, I was dosing ESV, which has a ton of stuff in it. So I think I was pretty much covered for trace elements there. On a calcium reactor, I know there's lots of stuff I'm not getting, right? You get all the coral building stuff, but you're not getting all the stuff that helps build the flesh. Like that stuff's not in the media. So there's certain elements that you're going to have to replace in that respect. Like I know potassium, there's a few other things when I just did the last test that I was low on. So I had to dose a bunch to bring it back up. Um, I've kind of been dosing on the frag tank. I've only been doing calc. I haven't even tested or checked or done anything with trace elements yet. Um, it's still a new tank, though, so nothing is likely depleted at this point. Uh, the water box is like nine, ten months now. And that one, I just actually got an ICP test back, and there's a few things that were low, so I did dose those to bring it back up. But I have been underdosing some of the Brightwell trace elements recently. And I'm doing less than half of what the recommended dose was and not nearly as frequently. And I knew that on purpose, but I kind of want to get a baseline of where things are at with that. So it kind of gives me an idea now, okay, I'm going to start dosing it. And I finally just got a few more verses. So whenever my little adapters and a few pieces come in, I'm going to put them all in the doser and get that dialed in. What about um, aminos or, or coral feeds? Do you uh, dose any of those? Randomly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I think about it. <laughs> So I have a whole slew of different ones. Now I will literally just like randomly dose them. I should probably do it like daily and stuff. But um, I do have some friends that just swear they can tell an instant difference when they stop dosing their aminos. Um, have I tried replenish? I am sponsored by right. Well, I have replenish. Oh yeah, the trace elements. Yeah, that's actually the main one I dose. Um, but I have the replenish one. Or, which is a mix of trace elements. Like I have Brightwell's one, I have Pull-Ups Lab ones, I have Red Sea, I have, I have a ton of random ones, and I'll just like randomly pick and use ones. So variety's a spice of life. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, I, um, I have not really um, had much luck dosing like coral, you know, like amino acids and whatnot. It seems like every time I dose amino acids, I'll, I'll get an algae outbreak. Um, I have used the... Uh, you need to dose less aminos. I was. I mean, I was cutting back and I wasn't really going too nuts with them, but it just seemed like my tank was um, kind of like at that limit where I was dosing some, um, you know, even a little aminos and was just causing that kind of reaction. I have used the, mm -hmm. um, the Reef, you know, um, Nutrition Oyster Feast and Roti Feast yeah. with, uh, with a lot of success. So um, Those are good. Yeah. I have those as well. Those are, those are my lazy day feedings and I don't want to... Use frozen, like I usually use frozen food as the main staple when I'm feeling lazy, or sometimes I'll randomly use some of the reef nutrition ones because they're a good broadcast feed for corals yep. and fish alike. So. Yep. So Vermont John is uh, is talking about doing 2.5% water changes daily and um, hoping that plus the KW and three part dosing will be enough. Um, so you're what 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 percentage are you doing in terms of the water changes? You're doing you're doing the uh, the automatic water changes, right? What does that come out yep. to a percent basis on like on a weekly basis for you? Do you know? Uh, that is about two point five gallons a day out of two hundred gallons, so one point two five percent a day, <laughs> or yeah, thirty percent? No, point three. Yeah, I'm doing ten thousand mils a day, so that's about two and a half gallons roughly, a little over two gallons a day. Yeah. All right. So water changes are a part of your uh, routine there. Yeah, the frag tank hasn't had a single one yet. The water box does get them, but I have a lot of tangs, a lot of big fish in there. So that one needs a little more love on the nutrient side. Let's also talk about nutrient exports. So we uh, we yep. saw the uh, the Cato and, and um, 
I think we um, we also saw the um, you're using GFO or Roafos as as yep. well. Have, have you found that the um, the Roafos can impact the the Cato growth because it's pulling out some of the uh, the trace elements that's needed by the uh, the Cato? Have, have you run have you been running that stuff at the same time or different times? No, the, I do have Rolfos and or GFO or both <laughs> in there currently. Um, I haven't noticed any impact on the Chato growth. Um, I did put my AI Prime Fuge back on there, and it definitely was growing better than the, the white strip I had on there before. Um, so that has taken off. I do dose randomly again. Like I probably do a capful or two once a week of the Chato grow, and that's probably replenishing most of it. Um, doo -doo -doo, was I low on that? Yeah, I dosed, yeah, after I did my CP test. I was like, oh, okay, I was like a smidge low on iron and a few things, so I just dosed a little extra of it but in general. And then I have a turf scrubber on this tank. So I have different methods on each tank just yeah. to kind of try out and play with different ones. What's uh, What's been the most effective for you so far, do you think, in terms of um, you know the turf scrubber and the uh, the fuge versus the um, you know GFO? Um, they all work. In different ways. Um, so GFO is only for phosphates. Uh, Chatomorpha or refugium or turf scarver, they're going to pull nitrous and phosphates. Um, the turf scarver, you get ammonia and some other stuff, will suck out. Not really a problem for a reef, but if you had a fish only system, bit of advantage. The turf scrubber is a little more high maintenance because you got to clean it every, I'm going to say, 10 to 14 days. Where a Chato, you could ignore it for a month and it'll be fine. So it's a little more work for that. However, it contains all the light and stuff, which is nice. So it kind of keeps your sump and everything else cleaner. So it's a bit of a trade-off. It's hard to say which one's better. They both are good tools for depending on what you're after. Um, have you yeah. have you had to um, dose nitrates and phosphates, or have you been able to find that happy balance where you haven't had to dose that stuff? So my frag tank was really low, so I just started dumping extra food. And I have high nutrient issues in my other tank, mm. so I've been trying out... What is it? I think I have the container somewhere yeah so i'm trying out this stuff right now which is interesting it's, it's it claims the fastest and most effective nitrate and phosphate remover is some weird i think it's some form of carbon dosing no there's this weird sponge looking stuff in there i threw in my filter and it's i think it's just like a carbon dosing method but that's currently in my big tanks so i'm hoping that will put a dent in my nitrates but i have high nutrients in one tank and low in the other so well, you know, maybe you should just kind of uh, intermix the, uh, the, the, the tank water there and solve both problems. If there was an easy way to connect them, I would. <laughs> but there's stairs and a hallway in between, and there's no easy way to connect them. Well, you know, you can get creative somehow there, Devin, right? I tried. Because <laughs> I wanted to hook this tank up to the auto water change so that I could uh, do both off the same reservoir. There you go. And just go, just go through the ceiling. Yeah, but I don't know if there'd be any issues, like if the lines ever froze in the winter. I don't know. I, I was hesitant. Some, I don't know how cold the attic gets, but yeah. maybe it'll test it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I just couldn't find a pretty way to do it. Well, Devin, man, it's um, I, I want to be conscious of your time here. We're, we're about 10 after the hour here. Um, I got I got a few more questions, but folks, please yep. uh, please chime in if you got you got some um, final questions here for, for Devin. Um, what's Vermont John asking? Devin, you had a stream about Tropic Marin. How... Have you considered using their method? Um, nowhere really sells Tropic Marin locally, so I haven't really used them. Um, I've looked at it a few times, but just due to the lack of not conveniently available, I haven't used it. So 
I may eventually. Like Lou has lots. He's he's a founder of information. Has lots of really good products. But gotcha. Yeah, just yeah. All right. So we've all made mistakes in this reef keeping hobby, right? I mean, that is yeah. something I think. Everybody has made mistakes in this hobby, 100%. And somebody that says they've never made a mistake in this hobby is lying, in my view. But um, yep. what would you say in terms of um, you know, mistakes that you've made that you've learned from in this hobby? What, what are some of the ones that stand out to you? Um, early days, using too much GFO, was stripped all my phosphates out and lost a bunch of acros. This was in my early, early days. So too much GFO is bad, especially when you're new. Um, in the last year or two, I've learned my lesson of not quarantining. So I've started to quarantine, be much more cautious on that front. I got away for years without an issue. And then someone's importing some fish. And I was like, oh, that's a really cool rare angel. And it had something nasty and took out all the fish in the tank with it. So that mm. was a very traumatic experience. Yeah. So I've learned my lesson and have since started to quarantine stuff. Yeah. No, that's, that is a, uh, that is a good policy to have. What about with the uh, with the new uh, water box peninsula? It would, if you could, would you have done anything differently with that tank? Mm -hmm. um, I don't think so. I've put a lot of thought and planning into that tank. Like I've done custom sumps. I've done a ton of stuff on it, and I've, I'm honestly really happy with how it's coming together. I wish the stand was magically bigger, like a TARDIS, so I could fit in more gear because I'm addicted to it. <clears throat> However. That, that's always the thing is, right? It's like, how can you maximize the space and still keep things yeah. looking pretty? Um, so, Greg. Greg, man. Do he, you, he doesn't like those softball questions I'm throwing your way. I no, guess. he's I'm, like, <laughs> give me this hard curveball. Um, do you use a lot of products? Do you discuss products that you're not fond of? I, honestly, not overly. Um, if I like a product, I will happily talk about it. If I find a product and I don't like it, I usually just don't even talk about it. I'm like, nope, no publicity for you. Um, I, I'm not one to like bash or down talk a company. So if I don't like it, I just don't do any content on it pretty much. <laughs> just cause like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, influencer in a way, right? Like I don't really want to like destroy some company because I had a bad experience. So I just avoid it. Yeah. But if I like it, happily talk about it yeah. and share, share my experience. Yeah. I hear you. Um, so let me ask you a general question. What, uh, mm -hmm. calibrate the electronic, um, Here's a generic question. If you had to uh, give somebody a piece of advice that's wants to kind of take their reef keeping talents to the next level, what would that advice be? At the next level, actually test your tank. <laughs> I know the older your tank gets, you become a slacker on testing, um, especially me since I have automated testers. And... You know, you get used to it. You get lazy. You don't test stuff. Eventually, stuff can sway because you're complacent and you're not testing stuff as much as you'd like to. Um, now, for instance, I had, like, the ReefBot, which was testing all my other parameters, and I had a part die in it. So I actually just replaced it today, a little um, actuator. So I'm going to get that back up to do my auto-testing. But I realized how much of a slacker I am on testing because it's not automated anymore, <laughs> and I'm used to being automated. Um, so... My elk is always automated, but the rest of it, complete slacker on testing. So I, I just need automation. Um, but yeah, keep up on your testing, right? If you don't, stuff is going to sway over time. And, you know, if your salinity is off, everything else could be off, right? So it could be just because you didn't calibrate your refractor meter. And over time, stuff drifted. That's going to affect everything else. So that's a big thing, I think, is just make sure you actually, you know, even if it's once once a month, if you're new, do it once a week. If your tank's established once a month, but just go through and do a kind of a baseline test to make sure nothing is out of whack. 
So don't slack on that, and that will keep you kind of long-term right track. Vermont John, watch Reef Bum and Reef Dudes. Real advice for real people. I like that. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, all right. A few rapid-fire questions, and we're going to wrap it up. Okay. Sounds good. Dream Tank. What's that look like? I don't know, to be honest. Like, I, I, I love my current tank. Like, if I was had endless amounts of money, I'd probably have some big, crazy in-wall tank. Actually, I don't know if you've ever seen Jimmy Pop Carlson's tank. He has, like, a... I don't know if it's like a couple thousand gallons, but it's this crazy like 20 foot racetrack tank that's in his house. Like it would cost a fortune in freaking salt and dose and everything else, but something would be amazing. But it's way too big and extreme for my measly budget. <laughs> yeah, well, we could always wish, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I would, if I had like unlimited means and resources and time, I'd probably do something big, crazy, and extreme. Yeah, but yeah. For, for, for my current lifestyle, I, I love it. You're, you're happy with what you've got right now. Yeah, definitely. Favorite SPS coral? Oh, such a tough one. Um, for some reason, my Palmer's Blue Milliporia. I still love that. Oh, guy. I love that coral. Still one of my favorites. Um, I really like, what's the other one? The Orange Passion. I really yeah. like that one as well. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I, I love that shaggy, tealy blue color of the Palmer's Blue. Well, I might have to hit you up for a frag, or if anybody else out there has a frag, I lost mine uh, several months ago, and uh, that that is one of my favorite. I love Millie's, and and that oh, is I'm, that is an awesome Millie. I, I'm a sucker for any coral with nice polyps. I just love those big shaggy polyps. Yep. It just sucks me in. Favorite LPS coral? I do like Ganyaporas quite a bit. Um, I always like torches. Yeah, probably. Okay. I don't know. It's so hard to discriminate. I like them all. There's too many nice corals. Like Good I, I answer. could do just an LPS or just an acro tank. Mixed reef. Like you just can't discriminate. You're not you're not insulting any corals <laughs> with that answer. That's a great answer. Nope. Uh last <laughs> rapid fire question. Favorite fish. Uh I used to really love my powder blue. He was awesome. I'm sad he's gone. Mm. Um Jawfish makes me happy. I don't know why. I love garden eels, and he reminds me of one. <laughs> there you go. Yep. What's yours? What's yours, actually? What's my favorite fish? Yeah. Uh, I do love, um, well, okay, my favorite fish, and I do not have one with uh, with my tanks right now, but I am looking to put one in to the new 225-gallon um, peninsula tank. That would be a regal angelfish. Nice. A... Um, uh, misbarred one if I could ever find one, but those are uh, nice. really cool looking. Fish. They really are pretty cool. I, I used to have one of my 220 or 225 gallon um, tank back in Connecticut when I used to live in Connecticut. Yeah, and um, you know he um, was pretty good. I mean, it was an SPS dominant mm -hmm. tank. Didn't really nip at the SPS. You know, there was uh, I think some zoas in there that <clears throat> pretty much mowed down, and and you know some um, mm -hmm. you know. LPS that um, could not keep in that tank with him, but yeah, it was fine in an SPS dominant tank. I think if you put a, um, and, and folks out there, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I think the chances are better if you put a, an angel like that in an SPS tank when you have um, more established colonies versus frags. I think with frags, it, there might be a greater possibility that they would de 100%. develop that appetite. So, Well, a, a frag with a few nips might bite the dust like right calling it a few nips right might not notice it right so yeah so i have to be really patient because i was close to i mean I, one of these um um vendors had a uh, a regal angelfish in stock 
and my tank is like two months old and mm -hmm. i was like chomping at the bit to get this i wanted i wanted that so bad and i was about ready to, mm -hmm. to push the button on it but i was like all right i gotta put the brakes on this because you don't want to like get uh you know in over your um you know head because it's just it's this is not a this is not a uh, this is a marathon right it's not a race and you got to mm -hmm. be patient and that's one of the things i've always found in this hobby and 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 don't uh, you know kind of like let those urges take over and and uh rule the day it's true, it's true. My, my one slight little urge temptation which i was back and forth on i added a copper band butterfly to my frag tank and so far he hasn't nipped anything but i'm keeping a close eye on him the buddy at the store said I could bring him back if he nips my coral, but I would love to throw my big tank, but I also have like a football size clam in there and a few other things that would be high risk. So I'm going to, if he's behaved for a few months, he may or may not make it to the big tank later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know it's definitely a bit of a risk. Yeah, we didn't talk about that uh, that clam. Was that raised from a pup or was that something you uh, brought in rather that, large? That That is a few tanks old now, so... I don't honestly know. I, I bought off a buddy who was shutting down a tank who got it from another reefer that was out of town who had it for many years. So I don't know how old it is, but it is probably the size of a football. Like it's a big clam. Well, that, so when you see the tank swinging by it, they're like this, and this clam's like. So it's, you don't even need the, the the Kato for that tank. I mean, that the clam is your uh, the nutrient export there, sucking that stuff well, right I up. Have five or six tanks in there, so it all adds up. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, Devin, man, listen, I'm not going to keep you any longer. This was a lot of fun, and I really appreciate you being a guest. And, and any uh, final words from you? Uh, no, thanks so much for having me. It was fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, listen, everybody, thank you so much for, for tuning in. This is going to be my last show for uh, 2020. And, uh, yeah, looking, looking forward to coming back in, in 2021 with uh, more great guests. So. Until then, be safe, be well, and we'll uh, see you in 2021. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Adios.